uh, here we go. But uh, last weekend, we had Lights Over Northwest on uh, Halloween uh, Sunday night, and that was fantastic. And I want to say thank you to everyone who showed up, to everyone who was friendly and, and loving and sharing the gospel with our community. You guys did a fantastic job. Let's give it up to yourselves and for the Lord. We had... We had hundreds of people from our community come in, and we got to share the love of Christ with them. I don't know if you knew this, but um, off, uh, off in the corner was a gospel team that was doing what was called the quest. And they would uh, be handed a ping pong ball. The kids would come, and their families would come, and they'd be handed a ping pong ball. And uh, the first person had a king costume on, and he said, the Lord is king. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He created you uniquely. And they handed the, the child a ping pong ball. And they said, this represents you. Go to the next station. And they went to the next station with a guy with an X on it. And he was, we have sinned, we have messed up. And we said, throw that ping pong ball into this small cup in the middle here. Try to make it. Because if you miss the mark, that's what we call sin. And they threw the ping pong ball and it landed into this great big pudding. And it was sin, right? And it was all messy. And we handed them a napkin. And they went to the next station. And Scott was at the next station of the cross and how Christ washes our sins away by paying for our sins on the cross of Christ. And then they went to the next station where they exchanged their ping pong ball for a new bouncy ball, a new life in Christ. And the man was dressed up in in a gift and you are a new creation in Christ. And the last station they went to uh, was a crazy guy with a world on it. I was the world and they had to bounce the ball on the different Frisbees to see how many people they could share the gospel with in their influence. And so that's how we got to share the gospel um, at Lights Over Northwest. I wanted you to know that so that you can know that hundreds of people went through there with their families, their parents paying attention, and they loved it. And many of you were sharing the gospel at your trunk. Many of you were talking to people about the gospel. Many of you were just sharing the love of Christ. And, and uh, it was a great, great night. So I want to encourage you, church, to continue to live your life for the glory of God and, uh, and reaching people for the gospel. Um, and that's what we look at at the end of Acts. We've been studying Acts for a very long time. You have to go back to 2020 when we started Acts. In the fall of 2020, I promise we're going to finish Acts before 2021 is over. But it is going to happen. And uh, it, it is, we're moving through it. And we're at the end where Paul is now come to Jerusalem where he is knowing that awaiting him in Jerusalem, he's going to face persecution, hardship, pain, suffering for the sake of the gospel and the name of Christ. Acts 20, says this, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and affliction, afflictions await me. 
But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what he says in Acts 20. And now, last week we saw him facing this fire. He knows what's going to happen and he faces his face towards Jerusalem just like Jesus faced toward Jerusalem. When he went to the cross, Paul is going to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And, and throughout the rest of the book, we see six times he's before kings and rulers and peoples and councils. And he testifies to why he believes in Jesus. I, I got asked last week... Um, this question, I want to address it in the sermon this week, but the question was, why was the church telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem through the Spirit of God, and yet the church is telling through the Spirit for Paul to go to Jerusalem? That's what it seems in the text. And I got asked that question, so I want to address it. I think the Spirit is telling both that afflictions and persecution, imprisonment, and maybe even death is waiting Paul in Jerusalem. And I think that they apply that two different ways. Paul says, that's what the will of the Lord is. The church says, well, if that's what's waiting you in Jerusalem, you should run from there, right? But both ways, the Spirit is telling both people the same thing, that affliction, persecution, and maybe even death await Paul in Jerusalem. Spirit has one voice and he's telling the church the same thing. They're applying it differently. So God is telling him to go. And let me ask you this. In the most difficult times in your life, can you testify to the goodness and the grace of God? Can you do that? May we see this morning what it looks like to have mountain-moving faith testifying through suffering. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 17. At Northwest, we read God's word and we stand in honor of God's word as we read it because it is the truth in which we believe it is powerful for our souls. And we're going to read it together in Acts chapter 21, verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem... The brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. We've been studying all of these things that he relates to them. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother... How many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you. That you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to their customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them. And pay their expenses so they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you. 
but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from the blood and from what has been strangled, from the sexual immorality. And Paul took them in. The next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and against the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple He's defiled this holy place, for they had previously in Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. You can be seated. The word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are here, that your, uh, that your church heats up this place, Father. We thank you that uh, you have given us your word as the body of Christ. And as we study it together this morning, may you pierce our hearts to help us understand the truths of the scriptures, to help us understand who Christ is and help us to have faith in the Lord Jesus. Help us to look at the life of Paul. And Father, give us and encourage us this morning to have a heart that testifies to the goodness and the grace of God, even in suffering. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Throughout many years and throughout many times since the beginning of Acts, we have seen the suffering of the church. We've seen the martyrdom of the church. And throughout church history, till this point, even today, many have suffered for the name of Christ. Many have suffered because of their bold proclamation of the gospel. There's a church that Revelation speaks of, of Pergamum. It's one of the seven churches in Asia where uh, happens to be these, these crowd is from, this Asia. The seven churches in Revelation are all in Asia. But there's a church called Pergamum, and this is what it says in Revelation 2.13. It says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Such an interesting thought process, this church in Asia, Pergamum, this faithful witness, Antipas, who is martyred somewhere where Satan's throne is. You see, the temple, uh, the, the city of Pergamum had three temples. And they, one was dedicated to the Roman emperor. Another was dedicated to the goddess Athena. And the other one was to Zeus. 
And this temple of Zeus had this great altar that was a throne-like structure. Zeus, the king of the Greek gods, some believe, is this throne of Satan mentioned in the book of Revelation. And many believe that Antipas was actually martyred upon this altar to Zeus. It's interesting, in the 1800s, the Germans were digging up Pergamum in what is now Turkey and doing archaeology archaeology, archaeological work there. How do you say that, right? I mean, that's, that's a mouthful. And in 1878, Carl Hohmann, a German engineer and archaeologist, found what he thinks is this altar to Zeus, who some believe is the throne of Satan. And this German actually brought it back to Berlin. You can actually see it today in the Pergamum Museum. And in 1901, the Pergamum Museum opened, holding what some would think was the throne of Satan in Revelation chapter 2. It's interesting that in the 1930s, Hitler would build a rally site called Zeppelin Field, and the Pergamum altar would be the inspiration for the site. You see, Antipas would give his life as a martyr for his faith. Yet Revelation 12 tells us that he and others would overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You see, Paul would conquer Satan and his attacks upon his life by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. You see, God had called Paul to testify to the grace of God, even if it meant his life. He was ready, and when the time came, he did. This is what we call testifying through suffering. The book of Revelation shows us that through the faithful witness of God's church, even in persecution, God will one day make all things new. He will cast judgment upon the earth dwellers, those who have martyred his people. He will conquer Satan, the prince of this world, and they, he will no longer torment God's people because God's presence will come down from heaven and dwell among his people upon the earth. But yet again, we see here, Paul will be imprisoned, ultimately leading to his death in Rome. But before he dies, he will share the gospel with kings and rulers and leaders. And his letters that he will write in prison will be distributed all across the known world into the churches. And even today, we will read those letters and be encouraged by the Apostle Paul and his testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus, as people all over the world will hear about the great God who saves. So Paul, what is he doing? He's coming to Jerusalem. He's giving gifts to the church, monetary gifts from the churches in Macedonia, Achaia, Asia Minor. This is outside of the, of, of the norm for churches that are planted to go back to the mother church and give gifts 
into Jerusalem, yet this is what the people are doing, and Paul is bringing them these gifts. And he sits down with James, the head of the church in Jerusalem, Jesus' half-brother, and he tells them all of the things that the Lord has done through the ministry of Paul, all of the things that he has gone through, all of the things in which the Lord has overcome and shown that he's faithful, all of the things in the churches that have been planted, the people who have become to Christ, the people who have passed from darkness to life, the people who are demon-possessed and now are, are in the church in Thessalonica. And he tells them all of these things, and they glorify God all together. And they live in perfect harmony all of their days, and that's the end of the book, right? No, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> they say, oh yeah, that's good, Paul. Great job with the Gentiles. Great job taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But guess what? We have all of these Jews now who are Christians, thousands of them. They've, they've heard about you, but your Judaizer friends who you've kind of uh, made enemies with, they are now talking about you. And they've told people that you've ruined their Jewish traditions. You've made them null and void for Gentiles. We have a plan, though. Why don't you take these four men who are doing some type of cleansing and vow to and purify yourself with them and pay your expenses and show that you are obeying the law yourself. People will see you, that you haven't just rejected our traditions and our thoughts. Oh yeah, we, we will still uphold what we said in the letter from the Jerusalem council, abstain from blood from the Gentiles, abstain from things strangled, abstain from sexual immorality, but, but for the Jews, Paul, we need you to show that you are not against them. So Paul goes into the temple. Maybe these guys are fulfilling a Nazarite vow, and, and Paul is showing humility here in going with them and cleansing himself in the temple. And this is our first point this morning from 17 to 26, it's this. So far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all people. So far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Paul has been steadfast and he has been sometimes forceful about the gospel and the purity of the gospel. He does not require Gentiles to be circumcised. He does not require the Gentiles to perform the Old Testament ceremonial laws. He says that is tainting the gospel. Yet, in this case, he is willing to show that he himself abides by the law. This is what it means to jump through hoops for loving someone else. And we all know what that looks like. Paul could have said, you know what, I, I really don't need to do this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm above trying to make people feel comfortable around me. No, no, what he says is, I can do this so that I cannot be a stumbling block for the gospel of these people and they can move forward in their faith. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. This is his heart. 
He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them to the Jews. I became as a Jew. That's what he's doing. In order to win the Jews, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." Paul wants to put no stumbling block between the gospel and the people that he's sharing the gospel with. He will go to great lengths to show them love. He will go to great lengths to connect with those people to help them see Jesus as Lord and Savior. What kind of links are are we willing to go in order to be at peace with people? Boy, in, in today's world, we're not willing to go very far, are we? I mean, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. It's almost like once you get behind the keys in the keyboard, you can say really whatever you want to do. In a world that is about my rights, my freedoms, my expression, how can we humble ourselves to not be a stumbling block for people to see Jesus in us, in our church, in our family? How can we live peaceably with those around us? Romans twelve eighteen says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. And that's difficult in our world today. It's difficult in this day and age. You know, sometimes people can do and say some of the weirdest things. You know that? I'm a pastor, so I see it all, right? Sometimes it just happens to be your neighbor, right? Um, Not not the current house we're in, but uh, the previous house we're in, We had a neighbor and we had like an elevated deck and so we could see into their backyard and um, we would get on that deck and and, and we'd play and and do things and we'd look into their backyard and go, man, it it looks like they haven't cleaned up their yard in a long, long time. And every piece of metal, every piece of junk that ever they had was stuck back there in case they needed it. It was kind of like the junkyard, uh, like a like a a, a parts a, a car part place, and, and it's just in the back of their yard. And uh, this is in like a neighborhood, by the way. And um, so one day we're we're playing in the backyard. I've got a four year old and a two year old, and we're playing in the backyard. And all of a sudden, this swarm of bees comes into our backyard. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, like we're in a neighborhood. There's a swarm of bees. I'm like, my children are like running inside. What is going on? And the neighbor comes over at some point in the week and says, I just wanted to let you know that we're making honey in the backyard and we've got some bees back here. And I'm thinking to myself, 
what is going on? Uh, man. And so I thought to myself, you know, I can live peacefully with this guy or I could just go off on him and how this is ruining our our kids and our outdoor play and what's going on with, with our life. But um, anyway, the point is this. People are difficult, right? But as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men, right? Not for your sake always, but for the gospel's sake. And this is what Paul is doing here by going and performing this ceremonial law. Let's see what happens here. Verse 27, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple. So these Jews from Asia, probably the places that he has been and he's already gotten kicked out of. Mobs have formed. Remember in Ephesus, they're chanting Ephesus, uh, Ephesus, Ephesus, all these things. And they're kicking Paul out of Ephesus. And they're seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. That doesn't mean that they were laying hands on him to pray for him, okay? Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place, meaning the temple, that's this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, you are allowed to bring Gentiles into the Gentile court, but into the inner temple you could not bring Gentiles. And there were signs posted in the inner court that read, if you are a Gentile in this place, you will die. Now, number one, Paul would never do that. He's not dumb. He doesn't want to kill his friend Trophimus. But number two... If he did, Trophimus is actually deserving of death, not Paul. But all of these things are happening. Verse 30, then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. It's like this big mob and all of the people are running. They don't know what they're running about, but they're running together. And this mob is stirred up. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, they were seeking to kill him, not by stoning him, but by mobbing him and beating him to death. Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers... They stopped beating Paul. This is a long time of beating. This is not just, hey, we took a couple swings. This is, Paul is is not well at this point. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, which the prophet Agabus in chapter 21 had prophesied about. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And we came to the steps. He was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. Now you could read this in two different ways. He's carried by the soldiers because the crowd is wanting to kill him. Or you could read this as he's carried 
by the soldiers because he can't walk himself. For the mob of people followed, crying out, away with him. Kill him. And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of assassins out of, into the wilderness? It's kind of random, right? Are, are you this guy, this Egyptian guy that led this revolt? All these people want to kill you. Are you not this guy? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Sicilia a citizen of no obscure city, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Paul can't even walk. He's been beaten by these people. And he's calling the centurion. I I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he given permission, Paul standing on the steps, motion with his hand to the people. He stands up. He gets the strength to stand. And there was a great hush. He addressed them in the Hebrew language. Saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. This is our second point this morning. It's thus. Testify to God's grace no matter the circumstance. Testify to God's grace, no matter the circumstance. Instead of going, get me out of here, he says, put me back in. I've got to speak to the people about Jesus being the Messiah. God's transformation in my life. Why I go to the Gentiles. He, he will be bound, and he was bound here, just as the prophet had said. Yet Paul, in his letters, he never views imprisonment as if he's a prisoner of Rome or he's a prisoner of the Jews. He never views himself as a prisoner of Rome. In, in fact, he even says this in Ephesians 3.1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, He's a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of Rome, not a prisoner of the Jews. He understands the sovereignty of God, of why he has become a prisoner of Christ. Colossians 4.3, he says this, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. I'm in prison because of Christ. He wants me in prison. The the sovereign God of the universe wants me to be in prison to testify to the grace of God. By the way, Paul would write four of the New Testament books in prison in Rome. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Pretty good books if you haven't read them. 
Paul had a different view of his suffering. He had a different view of his life. He had a different view of his intentions and what they were. His intentions was not safety. His intention was to testify to the gospel. His story of what God had done in his life. My question to you, church, is how do you view your suffering? Do you view your suffering as God's plan? Number one. Do you view it as God's plan? But do you view it as God's plan to bring the nations to Christ? Your suffering as a way in which God uses, the vehicle in which God uses to help people understand the gospel of grace? Or do we view it as somehow God is punishing us? Or somehow you're doing penance on the earth for your sin. Yes, God disciplines those he loves, but these thought processes are incorrect when you understand God's plan of Christian suffering. God's plan of Christian suffering is to be faithful witnesses to Christ, the one who ultimately suffered in our place so that his gospel may go to the ends of the earth. Have you considered my servant Job? Satan says. Well, you look at him. You give him all this money. You have this beautiful family. How you have blessed him with health and wealth and happiness and prosperity. Have you not placed a hedge of protection around him? Will he not curse you if you touch all he has? And like that, it was gone. All of it. His family, his money, his health, his wealth, his happiness. Suffering is a vehicle in which God's people testify to the goodness and the grace of God. Paul, having been beaten by the mob, as they're carrying him out of the great angry mob, says, no, I must testify to what God has done in my life. That's what I came for. You see, at Pentecost is where these people are coming to. It's become a celebration of the law. God giving the law to Moses on Sinai. Originally, it was the first fruit to the harvest, but now they are rabid about the law, and Paul is mixed up in the middle of this mob. And yet he's willing to testify to the grace of God. I know many here in this room are suffering. You're suffering the pain of broken relationships. You're suffering from the pain of sickness or illness, pain of lost loved ones, suffering financial losses. And for some reason, some of you feel like God's hedge of protection 
has been down for you. And just like Paul, I encourage you to look at your life differently. Look at your life as a way to testify to God's grace in spite of your suffering. You say, Rob, I I can't do that. How in difficulty and hard times do I testify that God is good and I have faith in him? How do I do that? Well, there was one who was greater, who came before us, who came before Paul, who through suffering made a way for salvation for God's people. It was Jesus who endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. It was the one who conquered through suffering. The blood of the Lamb overcame through the Lamb that was slain. The cross In the midst of suffering, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. He gave his life so that you could live. And Paul, in the same way, is giving his life so that he could testify to the mob, to the kings, to the rulers, to Rome of the true gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus. Paul now opens his mouth to give his defense, and this is what he says. Brothers and sisters, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said... And he gives him his testimony. This is our second point, or our third point this morning. Hopefully it's not our second, because we're almost done. Be prepared to defend your faith in Christ. Be prepared. Paul is ready. He sees the moment. He calls the crowd to hush. And he addresses them in defense. This is Paul's first of six defenses towards the end of the book. And he tells them his story. Not someone else's story. It's his story. His encounter with Christ. His defense of what he has done. Why he believes what he believes and the truth in it. 1 Peter 3.14 says this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ 
may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. That's what Peter says. What a beautiful passage. Be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you, Even if you should suffer, you will be blessed. For Christ suffered that he might bring you to God. And Paul tells him his story. I'm going to summarize this for you. Paul was a zealot. He was righteous about the law. He loved God's law and obeying God's law. He hated Jesus and the way and the church. He became a persecutor of the church in Jerusalem, even approving the stoning of one of the first disciples, Stephen. He's on his way. He's traveling to persecute more of the Christians in the church. And he goes to Damascus where he encounters Jesus. Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why... Are you persecuting me? He becomes blind from the light of Christ. God sends Ananias, one of the disciples, one of the Christians to him to help him to receive his sight. And he says to Paul in verse 14 here, I'm going to read it for you. The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. To see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon his name. Ananias says, God has appointed you. God has called you. God has called you to a ministry. God has called you to be a witness. And now, go proclaim that your faith in Christ through baptism. Go tell the Gentiles about this Jesus. You might say, man, I don't have a story like that. I don't have, I don't don't really think I can testify of God's work in my life. I, I would argue, yes, yes, you do. How did you come to Christ? I think Paul's story is all of our story, honestly. You were going your own way. You were enemies with God. You did your own thing. You rebelled against God. You thought your way was best. And somewhere in that process, you encountered Jesus. Maybe you encountered him through his word. 
Maybe you encountered him through his people, his creation. Somehow God showed you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you realized that what he was saying according to his word was true. He was Lord and your eyes were opened to the truth. God called you to himself. And guess what? The scales, they came off. And you could see Jesus for who he says he is. And at that moment, someone, probably one of God's people in your life, called you to faith in Christ. Just like Ananias called Paul, get up. Proclaim your faith in Jesus through baptism. Show the faith that you have in Christ. Believe upon Christ and show it through baptism. It's Paul's testimony, but it's your testimony too. May you be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth, no matter what situation you find yourself. Let's pray. Father, we know that um, we are your church. We are your people. We know that you speak and call each of us to be witnesses of the truth of the gospel. Father, we know that trials and tribulation will come in our life. We know that suffering will rear its ugly head in our life at some point. Father, we pray that we would be people who embrace our suffering. That we look past ourselves to the purposes of God, the plan of God in our suffering. Father, help us not to focus upon the hedge of protection that is down but help us to focus upon what you want in that moment Father as Paul is lying there beaten and bruised and bloodied help us to have the strength that you gave Paul through your spirit to stand up to declare the truth of who Jesus is and why we love him. Father, help your church in moments of suffering to wrap their arms around one another, to love our brothers and sisters who are suffering and help those that are suffering stand up declare themselves a child of God and continue the purpose for which God has for them. Father, we are your people humbled every day. Help us to be who you desire us to be. 